you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite Clear Liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Bite.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Bite. What's up, everybody, and welcome to Wine Face, where we're breaking down everything the experts know about wine in a fun, digestible, and accessible way, because wine is for enjoying and wine is for everyone. I'm your host, Helen Johannesson, from Helen's Wines in beautiful Los Angeles, California. And today, we're doing a really cool deep dive episode. My guest is a remarkable woman. I've known her for a few years. Her name is Brenna Quigley, and she is a geologist, which is so impressive, which if you don't know what a geologist is, don't worry, we're going to get into it. And she's also a terroir specialist. So for those of you who've been following along with me, new or long time, Terroir is something that I talk about a lot. It has it's a really important component in wine and in the wines that I love and support. And she's just a total badass who has really become an authority on the terroir of really some of the world's best winemaking regions. She's brilliant, she's passionate, and she just doesn't beat around the bush. So I hope you love this deep dive with Brenna Quigley as much as I do. We are getting into the core of it. <laughs> yeah. Without further ado, uh, Brenna, thank you so much for coming on this podcast. It's one of my favorites that I'm about to record. I'm so excited. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's great, great, great to be here. It's great to see you. <laughs> I know. It's great to see you. I can't wait to see you in real life. I feel like I was on Brenna's podcast and I'm going to link it in my show notes because if anybody wants to dive deep, this is a great place to go. Like deep, deep, deep. <laughs> like I think I'm just on the surface. Brenna's going deep, which is kind of the theme of this episode, uh, going deep into the earth. <laughs> so Brenna, how do you define, you know, I know your bio, but like, wh who are you and what do you do? Yeah, it's a good question. I, so I'm a geologist. So that's my like training. I'm trained as a geologist. I, I still, what is, what is a geologist? Yeah. Tell the people. Yeah. So a geologist is basically someone who studies rocks, but I also ah. like to think of it as someone who studies the earth. There's sort of a mm. kind of a I don't know, kind of a changing of something that's happening in the in the field itself, whereas a geologist studies kind of rocks specifically, but an earth scientist is someone who studies earth systems and, I know, from the center core of the earth to the surface of the earth to hydrology to, you know, other planets and stuff kind of 
spans Whoa. this whole whole wide world. <laughs> but yes, okay. Yeah. So you're a geologist, and how did you start this? And like, let's start there before we kind of crack this whole thing wide open for people, and their <laughs> minds get blown. Yeah. So I went to school to study biology, to study marine biology, and so cool. My family are all geologists, and so I. Basically, it all started because I took like an intro geology class in college because I thought it would be kind of fun or like funny to check in with my like dad about course <laughs> questions and stuff. And then I was just like screwed after that. So <laughs> I like you're, you're like, I got it. I, it's in my blood. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. I think, you know, I really was into marine biology because I liked the earth. And I think that that's a lot of people come to geology in different in different ways. And it really comes down to like in the end, I got to learn and think about and like work with the earth more as a geologist in my experience. I love this. So for people who didn't really pay attention in school, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> or just for people who might feel a little lost when you say geology is the study of rocks or the study of the earth, like wh what exactly does that mean? Is it looking at what's happened to the earth over time? Like how do you is there like a short version? I mean, it's a pretty long story, but how does that like fast forward from way back in time to today? And, and what exactly does it mean? Yeah, so I tend to think of it and like a lot of times when like I think about what I do, even still on like a day-to-day -day basis, there's a lot of like, it's almost kind of like detective work, right? So we have yes. rocks on the surface of the earth that we can see. We have intact like bedrock that's like the crust of the earth yes, and there's crust. all <laughs> yeah there's <laughs> all of these different you know types of rocks there's a you know we say a distribution of rock types and mm. it's not random and so one of the main yeah right isn't that kind of surprising whoa like, there aren't that's just... <laughs> like the craziest sentence it's not random yes yeah. keep going <laughs> yeah so like all of these rocks are in a place for a reason and it's all a piece of this story that began millions, maybe hundreds of millions to like billions of years ago, which is crazy. Whoa. And like if maybe the simplest, probably people would disagree with me, but maybe the simplest like description of the job of a geologist would be to try and explain that story, to try and understand how those rocks got to be where they are today. And then yes. also the function of, you know, what it means that they're there now and what that might mean for our practical use as living things who live on top of them. It is so dope. We're just living on rocks, <laughs> yeah. basically. All different kinds of rocks that are intentionally there. Exactly. What a trip. And so geology is framed by its own set of time periods. Am I right thinking that way? And why, why is that? Like, how is that defined? Yeah, it's... I mean, it's essentially defined as pieces of like the detective work. So you can start to notice patterns, living things that, you know, existed only in a certain time period and you start to get a sense of what those time periods are. And then when you're kind of like dropped in the middle of the desert and have to figure out what rocks are there and why they're there, you use all of those little things as clues. And so the main way that we do that is by really trying to understand an order of events so that we can understand how that order of events has been like 
mixed up or faulted or folded or moved or displaced or, you know, whatever. It, it just helps us put the puzzle back together. And so the, the main function, and this is kind of important when we start to talk about terroir things too, is the main function of those geologic time periods is for us as geologists to use them to understand the story, to understand mm. the sequence of events so that we can essentially put the puzzle pieces back together. God damn. All right. So some of you who have been a longtime listener or know me might be knowing where this is going. Some of you might be like, WTF geology? Like, why? <laughs> and what all of you might not know is Brenna also has a side hustle as a terroir specialist. Now, this is how we're intersecting geology and wine. How do you define terroir? Yes. So terroir is, there's sort of two definitions, but the main one is it's essentially all of the pieces of the natural environment that go into creating a unique, you know, a unique growing conditions for, in our purposes, for a vine, but for a product. And then you can also, another kind of like looking at it, like from the other side of the mirror, you can also think that the terroir is this idea that there is a characteristic taste that is basically imparted on in our case, wine or whatever product we're talking about by that natural environment. And so when we think of that complete natural, like set of natural conditions, you know, I start with geology, but it's a lot more than that. So there's geology, there's soil, which is, you know, related, but not actually the same thing. You know, there's climate, there's microclimates, there's microbial life, slope aspect, and some people even include human activity and interactions with that area as well. Into the holistic definition of terroir. <laughs> yeah. And would you argue or would you say that grapevines are one of the best expressors of terroir and that's why it's so interesting? Or do you disagree? I think they definitely are, but for various reasons. One, again, kind of like as a nerdy geologist piece, grapevines really often grow in rock. They don't grow in our typical agricultural soil. That's just sort of like a deep loam that can be really repetitive. They grow in lots and lots and lots of different types of, you know, very different rock types with very different soils and very different, very different growing conditions that make them have really strikingly different tastes and expressions. And then you combine that, like this kind of like the real natural, you know, physical side of that with the fact that, you know, Wine is a luxury product that people spend <laughs> a lot of time and energy thinking about. And so, you know, like a simple way to think of it is like if you were to like try to grow a banana, you know, in Michigan or something yeah. like that. Don't like, do it. There's going to be it. a different taste. Yeah. And, you know, you probably, especially if you're super into food and things like, you know, that there's there's better places to grow things. There's, you know, really, really, really great tomatoes and stuff like that. But because most products aren't quite as, you know, all consuming as wine is, we pay a lot of attention to wine. So we have a really good database and we have, we, we care a lot about what different wines taste like. Well, it's crazy because wine is like a living thing that can age. A tomato could if you canned it, but I don't know if it would change necessarily and express the terroir. Anyway, I agree with you. This is so interesting. This is part of why I love wine, everyone. This is what really got me into it 
is like thinking about one grape grown in five different places, essentially. But could we relate it back to sort of the history of the earth, the geological specter of like, is there an example of a place where something that has happened in the intentional movement of rocks over the span of millions of years is a direct, has like a direct effect on a growing region and that it could never be duplicated anywhere else? Well, I think, I mean, this is maybe a horrible answer, but I think that that's kind of <laughs> everywhere, right? Like, oh, yes. okay. like, I think that is, to me, it's what makes any, 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 any place on the planet unique from the other place. And that's kind of right. the idea with terroir too, is that it happens at all sorts of different scales. So you can think about the terroir of Burgundy being different from the terroir of California. Right. But you can also think of like the terroir of this one vineyard in Burgundy compared to this other vineyard right next door. You could do that with parcels. Like you can. I don't know if they're ready know, for this, Brenna. I don't know if they're ready. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, well, I mean, but, Brennan and I love Burgundy. And which, <laughs> like what she's saying is you can have two vineyards basically next to each other, both growing Pinot Noir, and they will taste markedly different to someone who's like tasting a lot of wine. Right. But if you zoom out, you have Pinot Noir grown in Burgundy and Pinot Noir grown in California, and there's no way they would ever taste the same because the geological and soil structure is different and the overall terroir. And the climate. I mean, they're different yeah. places. And I think the real point of that is you don't really want them to taste the same because you want to experience that place in some way in the glass. You want to feel the California sun versus, you know, maybe the yes. the burgundy fog or <laughs> or something. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> not a nice way of putting it. But, you know, you want to, you, I think... The thing that kind of unites a lot of like the great winemakers that I know is that they they have a real passion for translating a place and like wanting to share that with people. And I think that that's what's cool about terroir is that there's these places taste different. And maybe like, you know, I mean, I work I work with a lot of vineyards. And so I work in a lot of these like really deep details. But that's not mm. really the point. Like that helps them harness the terroir. It helps us work together. But I don't think we need to understand all of the details of exactly why or how. It can be fun when you want to go down the rabbit hole, but it's also just, I think, kind of like meaningful and, you know, kind of keeps us in perspective of the planet as a whole to think that, yeah, California tastes different from Burgundy and yeah. Burgundy tastes different from Alsace. And that's cool. Yeah. Oh my God, it's so cool. <laughs> Do you think that the best not best winemakers in a technical sense, but the people who most successfully harness terroir, right? Let's put it that way, mm -hmm. are really thinking about what grapes should be grown in certain types of soil and geological like substructure. Do you think, how important is that? Yeah, I think, I, I mean, it's hard because, you know, if you look at really old wine regions, people don't have a huge choice. You know, like it's been kind exactly. of predetermined for them. I think that the winemakers that I know who I really, really admire with what they do have are really interested. Usually they're really interested in a lot of technical details, but their main goal is to, again, kind of respect that place. And so it's to understand what makes this spot different from the other and not necessarily want to make all of their wines taste the same way. And that's... When 
or the vines to grow the same way to kind of just say like, okay, you're different. You're over here. You're doing your thing. You're over here. You're doing your thing. These are all going to be different pieces. And, you know, you all have value. (laughs) So crazy. What do you think was going on like back in the day? Like when, let's take France, for example, when some of these vineyards were cultivated early, early on, like in Von Romani, which is Mm -hmm. like the most fancy, famous, most expensive wine made from La Romani Conti. That's one of the oldest sites. Like, how do you think they knew? Like, do you think it was a terroir mindset? Like, how did they know to do it there to, you know, I, I, it bugs me out. I've, I've often been like, this is so trippy. Like, how did they know? Barolo is another example with the Nebbiolo. But mm-hmm. what do you think? You know, the, I mean, the myth is that, you know, a thousand years ago or, or whatever, just a blip in geologic time, but, you know, <laughs> a thousand years ago, it was a lot of trial and error. And so they didn't, you know, they didn't necessarily care about finding all of the different places, but they were growing grapes all over the place. And they essentially were just like, I like it. I don't like it. <laughs> you know, like, um, I love that. There's, you know, there's, uh, there's some mythology around all of that, of course, which is also great and fun. And I enjoy it. But, you know, there's some, you know, mythology around like, oh, this is only for kings and this is only for the Pope. And this is, you know, for everyday drinking. And again, a little bit of mythology. And a lot of people like to build that into, they were, you know, accidentally making a geologic map by compartmentalizing all of these vineyards. And they weren't, you know, they could have done a better job actually, (laughs) if that's what they were trying to do. Um, I love that. (laughs) But they were just making observations, which is essentially science. People were just like, that's great. Let's, this looks good. Yeah. Yeah. Tastes delicious. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on Sancerre? You know, like a lot of, and like the fossilized seashells and the soil and like what was Pangea and how is its relevance, in your opinion, related to some of the world's probably most famous winemaking regions? That's a very heavy question. Whoa, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I did not think we were going there. But I mean, it's sort of extrapolation, but it is kind of relevant. I guess let's start with, as a refresher, what what was Pangea? Yeah, so Pangea was the most recent supercontinent in oh our Earth's God. history. So crazy. Yeah, which is crazy to think that there were super, essentially times when all of the land masses on Earth were all smushed together. So insane. Yep. And so at some point, I think, oh, now I'm rusty, probably... 350 plus million years ago. Sounds right to me. All of, <laughs> all of these continents were had been, so they'd been apart and they got re-squished together. And when they do that, when they get squished together, they create lots of weird rocks that happen when you build mountains and squish oh them together. Mm-hmm. And then just as is the nature, you can kind of think of these plates on Earth's crust that are always just tending to move. Mm. And so after they like hang out together for a long time, they start pulling apart. And this relates to a lot of important wine regions because as a coincidence, essentially, when Pangea started ripping apart, it happened to be during a time when our Earth's climate was very, very, very warm, warmer Mm. than it is today, meaning there were no glaciers at the poles and sea level was higher. Whoa. So as it rips apart, that high sea that, you know, all of that seawater kind of floods in to this new space that was created Ah. and creates globally lots and lots of different kind of shallow 
warm little like Caribbean. Dare we say places. tropical? tropical. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Get your snorkel out. Mm-hmm. So like there was beach time throughout <laughs> a lot of <laughs> throughout a lot of the and, planet. Yeah, which yeah. ended up being Europe, and so that is that just happens to be the perfect environment for creating limestone. And so that's like, yes. think coral reefs, think like beachy, beautiful lagoons, mm. um, you know, with like soft white sand, that kind of thing. And that happened, you know, these plates have essentially been moving apart since Pangaea began splitting apart for hundreds of millions of years and are still moving today. And for a very, very long time, we just had a lot of limestone deposition as those plates were kind of finding finding their current position. Mm. And then essentially, like fast forward, all of those <laughs> all of those limestones get kind of buried, lithified, turned into rocks. And so they've got all sorts of different layers to them, like slightly Pools different are gone. flavors. Pools, Pools are, are gone. gone. Yep. It's, and then it's land. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then okay. they get essentially Africa crashes into Europe and squishes <laughs> <laughs> and squishes up some new mountains and you know climate gets colder, sea level recedes. Crazy. Things, you know, weather happens on the surface of the earth and erodes rocks away. And now we have this incredible exposed patchwork of that story. So we have this <gasps> kind of evidence of those, of what used to be the bottom of the ocean was then, you know, deformed, uplifted, and exposed. Oh my God. What does this kind of geological influence have on wine? What does limestone do to wine? Yes. So a lot of people think limestone is like the holy grail of where you can grow the greatest wines in the world. And that probably has to do with the fact that there are a handful of regions, particularly in Europe, that have very, very deep grape-growing histories that make really, 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 really awesome wine. So Burgundy, you know, specifically Chablis, Sancerre, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, Barolo, lots all of- All of a lot of limestone. They're, mm-hmm. they're all part of the patchwork. Yep. They're all part of that patchwork. They're all part of that same story. And essentially, limestone is made up of a lot of calcium carbonate. So mm-hmm. it has a kind of an alkaline pH. And it tends to, what's cool about it is there's all these impurities in it. And when limestone weathers, when it Basically, when it breaks down, when that rock breaks down and turns into soil, so mm. soil is essentially little bits of rock, compo- you know, mixed with air and water and organic material that can support a plant life. <laughs> when limestone makes soil, it tends to a lot of that rock itself will kind of dissolve, and it will leave behind ah. this really, really cool, impressive clay. So you usually get shallow soils that can have a lot of rock, you know, pieces like chunks in them, but the soils themselves are shallow and really, really, really rich in like really great clay. Mm. And some grapes love that clay. Yeah, exactly. They just go, (laughs) we love it. (laughs) Yeah, they love it. It is like, but it's also, there's not like too much of it, right? So if you imagine where you would grow tomatoes and you imagine some like, when I say shallow, I mean like, you know, around a foot. Right. You know, that's like, pretty shallow. Yeah. You know, that's grapes can grow on on soils that are that shallow compared to say that's crazy. a deep loamy soil where you might want to plant your garden where you're going to look for like a meter plus of soil. 
And what's cool is that, you know, the vines grow on that, but they also grow beyond it. So they grow into the rock below Isn't, as well. It's, it's crazy. When you see images of it, you're just like, how did the vine get in there? Yeah. It's insane. It's like, it looks fake <laughs> sometimes, yeah. but like so real. I love how strong, like, I guess people just don't understand the will to thrive that a vine has if it's in the right conditions. Do you believe that, and I talk, people ask me this all the time, but do you believe that this exam, these examples of terroir, you know, and the influence of like the geological history of it or not, do you think that has a direct correlation to what makes some wine expensive? Hmm. Scarcity is another reason, right? Yeah. Like supply and demand. But, you know, I think about it and sometimes I'm like, I feel like it's the place. Like the place mm -hmm. is not, du you can't duplicate it and there's nothing that can compete with it. And sometimes yeah. when I think about like the business of wine, which is just so sad because there's amazing wine that's not as expensive, that's made in similar soil, just not in that place. I definitely think so. I think that there is something to, you know, in wine as, you know, which is the same thing in, in terroir is that we're always looking for balance. And so you want to find something that has a lot of complexity and, you know, especially for expensive wines that are, you know, particularly expensive wines that are not particularly manipulated. Mm -hmm. You are looking, you need to find, if you're not going to put the complexity in yourself, or if you're not going to try to kind of like scientist it or, you know, mad scientist it. Right. Which um, we don't want, right. which we don't love. Yeah. We're not <laughs> right. into that. You know, then you need to find it naturally. And so you need to find a place that's going to give you that complexity. And mm. like we said, vines are like impressive growers and they will grow on all sorts of different things, which is cool because they'll grow in these like really extreme circumstances that will have an imprint, but they'll mm. also grow like where you could grow tomatoes because why wouldn't they? Like, yeah, you know, why wouldn't they? And so in that case, they are going to produce something that's less complex. They aren't in as challenging of an environment or they're not in, you know, an environment that has a ton of complexity to offer. And I think that definitely correlates pretty directly. I do think, I also think that, you know, in that case, vines are growing really, really easily. You can grow them at a huge scale. You can right. farm them in a very conventional way and they'll just keep pumping out grapes and they will when give you a lot of product. When they're in more of that loamy, deeper soil where they're not fighting right, to, and, yeah. into the bedrock. And, and then they lack complexity. And then this is what leads to like mass produced wine that does need tinkering to taste a certain way or to create levels of flavor. Yeah. Which we, you know, it's sad. It's sad, but the world is big and needs to drink wine, I guess. So, yeah, which is also <laughs> know. true. You know, I think there's, yeah. you know, a time and a place. I think there are lots of people who make really great wines on very simple terroirs. And, yes. you know, maybe they're not like really, maybe the wines aren't like thinkers, you know, they're not like, I have mm -hmm. to be sitting by a fireplace, like <laughs> thinking really hard with one other person who's going to think really hard about like the meaning of this wine. But like, that right. doesn't mean that, like, which is cool. It's cool that wine does that. I think, I think it's fun to do that sometimes, but there are lots of really great wines that are can still be made really well, can still be super interesting, can still be very, very true to their place. Maybe their place isn't as like complex or complicated or cerebral maybe is the word, mm -hmm. but yep. they're still delicious. They're still thoughtfully made. They're made by people who really, really care. And they're yep. made from people who like that place too, you know? Like, mm, they're proud. Yeah, I think so. 
And I think that and they're honest. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. honest and true. Yeah. Yeah. And I who doesn't want to drink that when they like had a long day or, you know, when they're having a party? And you can't ball out. Yeah, you can't ball yeah. out every day of the week. I mean, unless you're Oprah, she can ball out every day. But even you then, go, Oprah. you know, yeah. I, I am sure that Oprah likes to drink like a good, easy drinking wine sometimes because... Because yeah. who who doesn't enjoy that and who doesn't like to focus their attention on their company or on, you know, relaxing well, I feel, or whatever. Yeah, I feel like it's like if any time I open a bottle of wine that's like a thinker, it's like ex- either more expensive or I just know it's really special or whatever. I feel like whoever I'm with, I always always have to be like, hey, so like this is really, I have to just explain to them and be like, don't pour on top of what's in your glass. <laughs> enjoy it. Like. It's really cool. It's going to change, and and then sometimes you just don't want to have to do that, and you yeah. and you don't want to have to micromanage how someone fast someone might be drinking the wine. True. No judgments. No judgments. Yeah. Yeah, but there's tons of wines out there that are like people can thoroughly enjoy that are special that are you know yeah very cool that you don't have to be like this you know, it's like anti, I guess what I do, but you don't have to be like, this was grown on this certain type of limestone that's only yeah. found in this one part of the world because of Pangea. Like yeah, you don't have so to do fun. that. <laughs> I know, but maybe after today, everyone will want to, because that's the whole yeah. point of today. What do you think, like the earth is still moving? Like what's coming? You know, what, what do you think geologically? What does this mean for wine? Like, what is your forecast? What do you see in the near and the far future? Yeah, so I think that, especially in terms of the way the wine industry interacts with geology, I think there's a huge future for being able to harness it a little bit more and being mm. able to kind of, I think there's a lot of understanding of like, wine is great here and and here's the story of how that got to be there. But I think that there is a lot that we can gain from that knowledge that we're really at the very, very beginning of. And so, and that you know, I immediately go to the earth is still moving, but also our climate is moving faster. (laughs) So yeah. And what could that mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of the work that I'm doing more so now and that I'm kind of building into the future has a lot to do with how can we harness the geology and the terroir and understand ways to kind of build, I think the buzzword is like climate resiliency because Mm -hmm. we know about this. And so essentially we have, okay, different types of rock weather in different ways. And therefore they direct the weather Mm. in different ways. They create different types of rock, create the topography just because they exist, just because they're there. That's how we get topography that changes the weather. It changes the type of soil we have. So maybe we can look at the way we're using water because some soils hold more water than others. Interesting. Some soils hold more heat than others. So how can we interact? How can we kind of intersect farming and this understanding of the planet in order to in order to do things better in order to make things i mean both in terms of fighting climate change but also just being prepared for for what that means for the reality of a lot of these regions who have been following you know patterns and history for thousands of years that are about to change you know i know i know well it's crazy and it's going to happen fast mm-hmm. but I think these are all really good points. It's crazy. But the continents aren't going to smack back together, are they? I'm kidding. I mean, <laughs> maybe. Probably in like another 
300 million years, but I don't think we have to worry about it. Fuck yeah, three yeah. million, 300 million. Yeah. All right. We're smacking back together. We yeah. will not be here. Brenna, I think everyone is going to just look outside and look at things differently after this conversation. I could talk about this for hours, literally, <laughs> but I feel like this was such a great like intro to terroir for my listeners. And I just want to thank you. I'm sure people will want to learn more from you. Where can they find more information about what you're doing, website or Instagram, or what's the best way? Yeah, so probably... Instagram, just at Brenna Quigley. Mm-hmm. And my almost never updated website is just brennaquigley.com. Um, Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, we have the podcast as well, which kind of takes you on a trip through through different wine regions around the world. Amazing. And I'm the podcast is going to be pasted in the show notes. So if anyone wants to just go deeper, I highly recommend it. Brenna, I can't thank you enough for taking the time today. I hope we can do more parts to this conversation, deep dive into certain regions. If you're down for a little snackable education moments, thank you so much. And we'll talk soon. Yeah, I love it. Thank you so much for having me. Dude, I could have talked about that for two more hours. Let me know what you thought. I kind of want to have her back on to talk about some regions that could be cool. What is the geology? How does it interact with the terroir? If you had any more questions, please, you know, hit me up in the DMs, reach out to Brenna. I would love for you to comment, subscribe. Let me know what you thought of this episode. I definitely am going to look at the earth in a totally new way. I always am inspired by her and that conversation. And we all need to do our part. You know, climate change is real. And enjoy those wines. Think about that terroir, yo. But thank you so much for listening. If you want to see what I'm up to, you can follow me on Instagram at Helen's Wines or check out what's new on our website. Join the wine club, helenswines.com. See you later. Bye.